Dr. Lauren C. Scott, President Lauren C. Scott and Associates, Inc., and also Professor Emeritus, LSU. Thank you for joining the program here today. I just got a couple questions for you. Hopefully we can keep it brief because they're complex. But before you talk me off my capitalist cliff here, my, 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 my I guess, roof, if you will, because I'm a little bit concerned, um, I think a lot of people want to know about the negative oil prices and just, you know, just overall, what kind of impact that has on the economy. Is that something that you might even know? Um, you know, I mean, you're a doctorate in economics, so I don't know where else to go besides you. Yeah, well, number one, that was a one day thing. Uh, it, of course, it was it uh, the, the price popped back into the positive range today, but only about 11 bucks a barrel. But it was a it was a. It was a contractual nuance. Uh, some of the contracts that were were due uh, yesterday uh, or the day before, I guess it was now, uh, came due, and it was a fairly small number of people whose contracts were still come due, and they they had to buy, they had to take possession of oil that they had bought on the futures market, and they had no darn place to put it, and so that's what. So finally, they ended up with people. They're 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 people were uh, being paid. That were paying them money to take their take their oil, so it is. It is a very peculiar thing, and it was again. If you looked at the the, the data, uh, that was a one day peculiar contractual phenomenon that is now in our rearview mirror. But it doesn't change the fact that we've got a long term. We got a, a problem that's starting to be a long term problem now, and that is we got all this dadgum oil that is still flowing out of OPEC and out of Russia. That is just flooding our tanks, our salt domes, our very large crude carriers, our pipelines. Any place you can store the stuff is just is just flooding it because they're not. They said they weren't going to cut, implement the cuts they agreed on last week until May the first. I mean, what a remarkably st- stupid decision it seems like to me um, to delay it to May the first because we're just filling up our tanks. Which means that once the cuts are implemented on May the first, we've got to work off all this excess supply in order to get the price going up again. So it's it was just the combination of delaying the cuts until May, plus the fact that the that the Russians not the Russians the Saudis pumped all that extra oil in the market in early March. The combination of those two things were just seems to me that's remarkably stupid. It was designed to make the price of oil go way down and stay way down for a while. Well, I tell you, all the different things that have happened, the one, two, three, four, five punch, depends on how many different punches in the industry you want to look at from from Saudi Arabia, OPEC, Russia shenanigans, to even China shutting down, you know, last year. And then, of course, the American shutdown. There's two different shutdowns that really hurt the economy. But... We're, we're into the territory where a lot of people are calling it unknown territory, if you will. And when we're in unknown territory, a lot of times we make decisions that are kind of rash and sometimes not thought out. So I, I did want to ask you about uh, oil as a commodity uh, in terms of very similar to agriculture. Uh, one of the things I've heard over the past, I don't know, 10 years is that, you know, the advent of innovation with hydraulic fracturing and uh, horizontal drilling has really pinpointed the oil and gas to where they they know where it is, and and a lot of times now it's a it's a numbers game. It's a sh- you know it's it's when price hits X Y Z, you can go into this shale play and drill, and that's a, more of an advantage than the old wildcatter days. 
And so when I start hearing about government control and, you know, different productions and that sort of thing, I just start thinking, is oil going to be treated like uh, wheat and corn and soy at some point? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting that you had the OPEC people agreeing to take about 12.5 million barrels of oil off the market. That's OPEC plus Russia take about 12.5. Now, that's a bigger number than uh, you've seen reported, the 9.7. But the the 12.5 includes them taking off, the, uh, the Saudis taking off the 2.5 that they added in early March. So then you've got the other countries, the G, some of the G20 people, Brazil, Norway, uh, Canada, the United States, Mexico, etc. They're going to take even more off the market. Well, hopefully we will take 20 million barrels off the market. Well, that's still not enough because the, the, the decline in demand is something like 29 million barrels. So there's still going to be an over, still going to be an overhang thing there. Now the tricky thing about the the G20 countries is that, in the case of the United States, uh, the government doesn't run their oil companies the way they do in these other, the, you know, like in Saudi Arabia or Iran or Iraq or Russia. It's run by private individuals, and so if we're going to cut ours, there's there's two ways it'll happen. One is the way it's happening right now, and that is the price goes down. Uh, smart, clever, greedy capitalists are losing money, so they're going to shut in their wells. So we're going to naturally cause probably at least a million barrels of oil to disappear in the United States simply because of that. But there has been some talk about uh, folks like the Texas Railroad Commission or your regulatory body there in North Dakota or other places uh, imposing cuts on uh, uh, companies that are operating in their states through their regulatory bodies. Well, the oil companies understand how that would be beneficial, but they do not want that to happen, I don't think. Uh, they do not want the government getting that close into their industry and meddling in it the way they used to be back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, so there's been a lot of resistance to that. And it may not even be necessary because when the price goes down this much, it's just down in the 20s. Uh, one estimate I saw from Rystead uh, Research Group in, uh, I think, Norway said that at a $20 price, 140 uh, oil and gas companies in the United States will go under. Well, if they go under, the output is naturally. Uh, going to go down. I mean, the price is going to drive it down, does it, as it always does. And so you won't need these regulatory things. In fact, I guess yesterday the Texas Railroad Commission uh, decided they weren't going to make a decision about this. Now they're going to wait till May and see how things are going then. So there's a lot of reluctance to, to moving in the direction that you're talking about, where they actually regulate uh, the amount of acres that are planted and that sort of thing in agricultural products. There's a lot of resistance to that in uh, on the uh, on the federal on the, in the United States on the oil and gas side. Well, I, I do want to pose one thing your way, um, which is a little bit why I brought this up is: uh, Do you remember when they first talked about the the bailout in the industry about a month ago? Mike Summers, API, before they even finished the sentence, came out and said, "Absolutely not." Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and now, you know, seven days ago here, I'm looking at the CEO of Parsley in, uh, Energy, Matt Gallagher on uh, CNBC said that um, Texas must cut oil production. And, you know, here here were the 
there's a disparity of uh, the old school way and kind of this new younger generation. And that's the reason I'm, I'm trying to have the conversation that I think the younger generation is not on the same page as the older generation. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm looking at the headline here on CNBC. And here we got a younger guy talking about, you know, maybe we should have the government come in and help us out on the different production cuts and things like that. So anyway, I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to start a cat fight or anything like that. I'm just saying this is, um, it almost seems like there's a, there's a shift happening, if you know what I mean. Well, it could be. I, I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change uh, phenomena. They really believe everything that people tell them about this is subtle science. And, and uh, they have no problem with the problems right now that we're having in the oil and gas side. They, the idea that there's going to be shut in, you put keep more in the ground. That's exactly what they want, I think. Uh, probably the great majority of their young people, because I don't think they understand the implications of that uh, long run, and I think they actually have fully bought into the, uh, the the climate change. If you if you have fully bought it, bought into the climate change phenomena, then you're going to be you're going to think some of the stuff that's going on right now is perfectly okay. Let's keep it in the ground. Let's quit producing as much. You know, that's that's what we need to do, and go more to wind and solar and that sort of thing. So it's going to be interesting to see how this, and they in particular are not going to want help for oil and gas companies in this next round of uh, fiscal stimulus. Uh, you know, they have, the oil and gas companies have been pretty much been left out, and um, that's perfectly okay with uh, the set of folks who believe in climate change. Dr. Lauren Scott is our guest, and I did want to ask you uh, before we let you go is, uh, you know, you, you are a professor, and so you do, uh, you, you are an expert in many different fields, and one of the conversations we've had in the past is you give a very good history on Earth Day, and since we're actually recording this on Earth Day, I thought uh, maybe it'd be a good good time for you to, you know, I mean, you, you don't have to give the half-hour presentation, but, you know, a nice little recap of how Earth Day came about and what your comments you just said actually they do connect well i mean yeah if you go back and talk about why earth day came about it's because there were there were doomsayers back then on the first earth day which has been more than 30 years ago a lot of press i mean the people uh, that that is newsworthy that is something that people like talk the end is near and it's kind of amusing to me that if you go back to the very first earth day and look at the headlines the headlines on the very first Earth Day were man-made global cooling is going to destroy this Earth if we don't do something about it. And, of course, that didn't work. When we got to the 1990s, that didn't work because then it became man-made global warming is going to destroy the Earth if we don't do something about it. And then, of course, when the hockey stick ended and the, the, the warming trend quit rising at such a great rate they had to find another term which was climate change which to me the, the phrase warming and cooling has some scientific basis to it climate change has no scientific basis to it what the heck is climate change even mean and if you're as old as i am and i'm old i'm old, I, I, I was just cooling off uh back then uh climate has always changed is always changed. Uh, and so I, I, I have to tell 
it is a, however, it is about a two billion dollar industry with money being funded by federal grants, and that's one thing. And you're when you have that much money out there, uh, what is the old saying? Follow the money. Me out there, you're gonna you're gonna keep this thing. You're gonna keep this thing going, and the press is gonna help because the press likes bad news. All right, Dr. Lawrence Scott, uh, are you? I don't know if you're speaking still in terms of currently, but I know you're probably booking your schedule up and that sort of thing. I know that uh, when conferences start up and universities start up again, uh, you'll probably be on the speaking circuit again. So, um, are you? I guess that's the question. Well, I hope so. Right now, everything's going to uh, virtual. So I've, I've got several. I got a couple two or three webinars that are going on uh, where we're uh, handling things through Zoom. We go to a meeting or to Microsoft meeting things. So we're, everything is changing. And really, the bookings for actual conferences have either uh, been canceled uh, or are being delayed. Uh, nobody's really booking anything for an actual conference right now. It's too uncertain about whether it'll take place. So it's the speaking business is kind of, kind of squirrely right now. Yeah. Well, sir, we'll keep in touch, and that way when things get hopping again, we'll make sure to let people know that you're available once again. But right now, I guess it's Zoom only and telephone and email and just the old, like, quarantine like everybody else, huh? That's right. Well, listen, Jason, you take care of yourself up there to stay warm. Thank you, sir. You too. Take care. Bye-bye.